Good morning, everyone. Friends, in Jesus' time, the Jewish people, for them, it was sinful and punishable to try to entrap someone. So we're told right at the beginning, they tried to trap him in his speech. We are told the religious leaders asked him a question. Is it lawful to pay the census tax to Caesar? Jesus calls them hypocrites for three reasons. First one is uh, because the religious leaders, they know it's forbidden to try and trap. You should also know that the Pharisees, the Sadducees, and the Herodians were not friendly toward each other. They hated each other. The Pharisees and Sadducees, they held different theologies and ideas about what we know as church. The Herodians, and I beg, I'm going to take a little bit of liberty here, the Herodians sucked up to the Roman government. They loved King Herod. <laughs> uh, and they were thus considered hypocrites by the Pharisees and the scribes, and they were great sinners. The Herodians, for their part, thought the Pharisees and scribes were religious fanatics and zealots. All three of the groups detested each other, and yet they've come together against Jesus. They found their common ground. Imagine that people who hate each other find a common ground. They all try to discredit Jesus. The question posed in the gospel was a very controversial one of the time. And here is the entrapment. If Jesus says pay the tax, the Pharisees would label him a traitor to the Jewish people. If Jesus says don't pay, the Herodians will run off to the King Herod and tell him, oh, he's a traitor. He needs to be crucified. Jesus knows the trap and gives an amazing and very famous response that applied not only then but to today. Repay to Caesar what belongs to Caesar and render to God what is his. In this, the Lord is saying, and I'm going to stretch this, he really is saying we have a responsibility to Caesar. Now today, Caesar is government. That's all that means, government. We have a responsibility. Each generation will have to navigate properly between the two. My friends, I'll tell you, in the Old Testament, all the prophets, uh, I'll use the words of someone who doesn't like the church, meddled in society and in politics. Jeremiah 7, 1 through 17, called out the political and social uh, challenges of his time. All the prophets did. Jesus did also. That's what got him on the cross eventually. So each generation will have to learn how to navigate these waters. In our time, there is an issue between church and state. A long, long time ago, folks felt that the church and state should be one. Yeah. I'm going to say this very carefully because it was in the Middle Ages. They used a phrase. They said, the union of throne and altar. Which throne and which altar are you talking about? My friends, political powers wax and wane. Governments come and go. They are temporary. I don't care which one you align yourself to, libertarian, Democrat, Republican, 
democratic socialists, socialists, that matter. You are Christian first and foremost. All of those will disappear. We only have to look at history to see the Roman government fell. I don't want any part of our church to be an arm of the political parties of our time. We do not believe that that is what Jesus wanted. But the opposite extreme to say that not only should there be not a union of church and state, but there needs to be this absolute wall of separation between the two doesn't exist. I will show you. I cannot officiate a wedding in this state without a permit issued by Caesar, the government. I'm joking with you guys. I'm going to play with Caesar's name. If I do so, I will be in violation and they will take away my right. Did you know that? I cannot marry two people without that permit. If I do, a fine is levied and they have the ability to say, that minister in that church doesn't get to do this anymore, and that poses a great problem. The state regulates how we build our churches. They regulate our, how we build our schools. They even tell me what kind of sign I can put out. That's why we don't have a new one yet, because we're still dealing with it. And how bright the light can be. I looked across the street and saw how big their sign is and how big their lights are. <laughs> and friends, the state steps in when there's criminal activity that takes place, rightly so. And in truth, there is no legal bounds or grounds for the right of sanctuary. Everyone thinks there is, but there isn't. The federal government has the right to enter this church. They just don't execute that right. They don't want the bad PR. Of course, my friends, there are benefits to governments. Protection, they help us with fire, policing, uh, waterways. I can drink water from my house, huh? Yeah. The government exempts church property from taxation, unless I do something wrong. The government does not tax our collections as income because the church provides so many charitable services to the community at large. So in truth, there is no absolute separation of church and state. However, in this uneasy relationship, the church, she has a moral obligation. And we have the numbers and strength to question official policies where gospel values are at stake because government policies have moral implications. It can build up or weaken families. It can protect or destroy life. It strengthens or diminishes human dignity. It can support or burden the practice and freedom of religion, as I just exampled. Our Lord's words thus apply not only to church and state, but to religion and politics.
your faith is absolutely and without question to influence your politics. I will not tell you which one you will assign yourself to. But your faith influences your party, not the other way around. Your party does not influence you. You will be made a fool of and called a hypocrite if you try to do it that way. We Christians are called to and have an obligation to bring moral vision to the nation we live in. If we do not, someone else will bring their vision. And I guarantee you won't like it. My friends, the early church did as much. Don't be fooled into thinking that your faith will always align with your political stances or that you have to adapt it to. That is wrong. It won't work and you will not have peace in your hearts. Not a true peace. So when the Lord says, repair ye to Caesar what is Caesar's and to render to God what is God's, the Lord is not speaking only about the institutions of church and state. The Lord is also speaking about religion and politics. And we have a responsibility to Caesar, yes, a responsibility to government. I don't want you guys to get confused on talking about Caesar's here from a bazillion years ago. But we have obligation to God. I suppose the Lord is not saying, he's saying not to confuse these two. You are a kingdom people, always and everywhere. Christians are always to live life and make their decisions in the context of your Christian faith, according to the teachings of the Master, of our Lord Jesus Christ, not the other way around. We give government our taxes and our judgment, and even in a limited way, our loyalty as citizens. But our conscience and our soul and our life choices belong to God the Father and Him alone. In the end, you will be liable for what you have done as individuals and as citizens, not to Caesar, but to God. And as Jesus said, I will show you the one you should fear. I tell you, if you try to separate your faith from your politics, you will not have peace. In fact, people will call you hypocrites. But our Lord, my friends, when there is a clash between what government wants of us and what God has commanded, the Christian must always, and it's usually always around morals and ethics, the Christian will, must always follow the higher law of God. especially if the government should legislate something that is in contradiction to it. What is by government deemed legal is not necessarily always moral and ethical. St. Thomas More said, we must be good citizens to the king, but above all, we must be God's holy servants. 
There should be little tension between the two if goodness and true justice and mercy and charity are the foundations of a society and its governing body. And yes, when you have to make a choice between two evils, you are required to point out the evils of everyone. <laughs> Jesus called the Pharisees, scribes, and Herodians hypocrites. I already told you the one reason why. Because they tried to trap him. Here's the other reason why. First, because they were guilty of idolatry. Remember, Jews could not have any graven images on them. There were two monetary systems in Jesus' time, the Romans and the Jews. That's why they had money exchangers. So Jesus, and I laugh, Jesus says, reach in your pocket and give me the coin. <laughs> They're not supposed to have it. And he says, whose image is on there? Caesar. Well, you're not even supposed to have it because <laughs> it has an image of some man. It was called a denarius, and it was the Roman monetary coin. In doing this, Jesus implies he does not carry the coin. And uh, in them having it, they committed idolatry, and they were abetting the government. <laughs> you don't find that funny? It's funny. The very thing they're going to accuse Jesus of, they're doing. Hypocrite. When his opponents produced the coin from their pocket, or purse, as they called it, they exposed their own hypocrisy. The other piece of this is they said they believed in God. They said that they were the absolute followers of God Almighty, and they would do everything that God said. And we hear them say, we know you are a man of God. Jesus was the Messiah. He spoke the truth to them. And they rejected him. Hypocrites. That's why Jesus called them hypocrites. Those are the three. Later on, he'll talk about it more. But, my friends, in any event, Jesus, I believe, clearly is telling us, repay to Caesar, give to Caesar what belongs to him. Reminding them that, that if they are benefiting from the toilet system, <laughs> which they had, if they are drinking water, if the empire is protecting them from invading armies, give them their money. Go ahead. First Peter 2.17. Peter, first pope, would speak about this. Give it to him. You're benefiting, right? You're able to walk down the cobble street. Otherwise, it would be filled with mud. Go ahead and give them their money back. Our Lord reminded them, however, in that same statement, render to God what belongs to him, loyalty, fidelity, and love. In his words, however, he reminds them, again, the Pharisees, scribes, and Herodians of their hypocrisy, you do not love God, for you are trying to kill me, his Messiah. The Pharisees and scribes, they claim to be followers, loyal followers of God, but they refused to listen to Jesus and his teachings, and in their actions, they showed their hypocrisy. As your pastor, I warn you, more and more, the governments of this world are not so much indifferent to God as they despise him 
and are spiteful towards him. Jesus, I believe, acknowledged government's role. If you want to know more about that, one of the books that comes to mind is the book of Daniel. Go and see. Especially King Nebuchadnezzar, come Nebs. Go and see what the prophet and the king and God was doing. Jesus acknowledges the authority and power that is given by God to a government, but it never replaces God. Never. God has our first loyalty, fidelity, and love. Whatever else one repays to Caesar, do not give your soul and conscience over to any government. That belongs to God. That is His. We depend on our families and the people in our neighborhoods and our cities and towns and workplaces and our country and our world. And they depend on us. We are also called to protect human life, to honor the dignity of all people, wherever they may be and to share gifts for the betterment of the human family. Like each of us individually, the family too is sent to proclaim Christ to the world through the very lives they live. Yes, and through their citizenry, as citizens of their government. And to work for the further common good. The heart of the social life is family and it must be protected. We have a right to participate in our society, but that right comes with great responsibility to contribute in meaningful ways. My friends, this is historical fact. The early Christian church shaped and forged Western civilization. Go and read. You don't even have to read the scriptures. Go and read the documents of the governments of their time. You know what they called us? Crazy Christian cult. These followers of a crucified crazy rabbi. One man, 12 apostles, 500 disciples of that time. They influenced what was known as the world at that time and change the course of history. We are called to do the same. They did it. We can do it. I came back from my vacation to find emails telling me about my parishioners fighting with each other, calling each other names on social media, Democrats, Republicans, Independents, how does that make you different from what they do in Washington? Speaking evil of each other. You can disagree politically, but come before his cross as Christians in love. Stop it. Stop being made fools of. Don't fight with each other. Don't call each other names. 
Do you understand? It breaks my heart. It breaks my heart. That is not how we are to act, and that is exactly how they want you to act. Do not be hypocrites. Jesus said, give me the coin whose image is on it. Here's my challenge to you. Go home, look in the mirror, and ask yourself whose image is in the mirror. You are made in the image of God. Render to God what belongs to him. You have been purchased by the blood of Jesus Christ. Conduct yourselves as his disciples. Will you at least do that for me? So that I have peace of heart for a little while. <laughs> and I can make it to December <laughs> without a mental breakdown. Please don't fight with each other. Please. Don't fight with each other. State your differences in charity. Come together before the cross of Christ. Amen. I leave you with uh, the words of St. Thomas More. Be good citizens. Go and vote. But remember who you are in Christ. Give to God what belongs to him in all things.